Hey, and welcome to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. Here you'll find a teaching for your life from God's Word by Pastor Wes Aram. So, let's get to it. All right, let's grab our Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 1. Either the hard copy you brought with you or on your electronic device, Luke chapter 1. We're pushing pause on our uh, series Pray Now because it's Mother's Day and I thought it would be very appropriate to look at a mom from the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at probably the, one of the most famous mothers uh, in, uh, in the Bible and definitely in the New Testament. It's uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so we first see her showing up in terms of prophecy that is prophesied about her uh, in a couple places, let me read you one. Isaiah 7:14. A familiar verse says this, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel." Now we come up to the New Testament, and it turns out we are introduced to this virgin that was prophesied in the Old Testament, and it's Mary. She is a common peasant girl. Okay? That was her station in life. That is who she is. And yet, we see in Luke chapter 1, her life is about to radically change. Now, we're familiar with this story because of Christmas time. In Christmas, we can romanticize about things. But man, life is rarely that tidy. And as we dig into Mary's story a little bit, I uh, hope we can all relate. Even us guys can relate to uh, what is happening here. So Luke chapter 1, uh, let's uh, start reading in verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. This was an unbelievable moment for Mary, as we can understand. As we have heard this story of Christmas after Christmas, this was a moment that was just stunning to her. It's not like she ever had an angel you know, visit her before. This was an amazing moment in her life. And as incredible as it was, my guess is that over the next days, weeks, and months to come, some of the ramifications of what she was told probably started to land on her in vivid reality. For starters, she would become the object of ongoing backstreet conversations, innuendos, and even accusations. See, to become pregnant in a close, tight-knit Jewish community before you were married was unbelievably scandalous. Okay? The nicer gossips would say probably something like, Wow, she's such a nice girl, but you know, with uh, those traveling salesmen and the, the Roman patrols always coming through here, easy for a nice girl to get into trouble. Such a shame. The ones who are less nice would just, under their voice, under their breath, just whisper whore and shun her. Then there was her wedding day. The day that Jewish girls look forward to, it was a big, big event. It would go on for days, sometimes even a week. It was a huge 
thing, huge occasion, huge celebration, all right? It went on for a long time. Guess what? That never happened for her. That came off the table. That was not something. That dream that every Jewish young girl dreams about, that would not be something that she would ever encounter and she would ever enjoy. Then there was Joseph. She can only imagine the things that he would have to, have to face. Comments that he would have to, you know, run up against, like guys, when they get together, talking about him, going, can you believe that guy? Joseph, what was he thinking, man? He's marrying a girl that's pregnant with some other dude's kid? He's nuts. What is his problem? And then she thought even what her son Jesus would have to deal with. On an ongoing, regular basis, he would be forever considered an illegitimate child. In fact, when Jesus was in his public ministry and he was going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, as he did on several occasions, in John chapter 8, they took a not-so-veiled shot at Jesus' upbringing and origin. In John 8.41, the Pharisees said, We are not illegitimate children, they protested. In other words, they were looking at Jesus saying, Listen, we know who our father is. You don't even know who your father is. It was a shot that he was used to taking, but I can't believe it ever felt very good, especially when Mary would overhear it. These and other things, I'm sure, were going through her mind day after day after day, week after week, month after month, until it came time. She was nine months pregnant and got the word that she was going to have to travel because of a census to Bethlehem. That was 90 miles away. A pregnant woman, 90 miles away, on uh, uh, the back of a donkey, up and down hills. I mean, can you imagine it? I'm sure she prepared for the trip by breaking some, you know, baking some bread and putting it, you know, in in little cloths that she would wrap up. She'd take some dry meat, maybe in some lentils, and she'd put water in the goatskin canteen. And and Joseph, he would prepare the donkey, and he would put blankets, goatskin blankets, on the back of the donkey because it was not only just to help. Mary, as she rode on the path, but it was also to cover them up. They weren't going to make that journey 90 miles in a day. They'd have to most likely sleep in the open under the stars, under trees. They would need those blankets. And so the journey would begin 90 miles. She's nine months pregnant. She's on the donkey and Joseph walking by her every step of the way, trying to steady her, trying to talk to her, trying to comfort her. Moms, remember when you were nine months pregnant? How easy it was for your husbands to comfort you. Remember that? Remember those days? Husbands, remember that? I remember it. Yeah. I could have used a donkey. I don't know. Maybe I was the one. I don't know. But man, right? It's one of those things. 90 miles. And when they finally get, she had to be exhausted. He had to be exhausted. When they finally show up in Bethlehem, the place is jammed. It's teeming with people. And you know the story. They finally found a place and a stable. That had to be a million miles away for what Mary had hoped for the birth of her firstborn child, surrounded by smelly animals, not surrounded by family, not there with her mom holding her hand, talking her through the birthing pains. Joseph, the most unlikely of midwives, was her only help, her only comfort, her only source. And finally, Jesus came into being. I planned that right there. That was a moment. That's all part of my special effects. Good job, Toby. Um, Finally, he came into the world. And there she is. And there he is. We pick up the narrative in Luke chapter 2. Flip over a page in Luke chapter 2. 
because later on they took Jesus to the temple uh, for the purification rites uh, that were required by the Mosaic law. And then this happened. Chapter 2, start reading in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Can you imagine that as parents? Can you imagine that? When you take your, your child to be dedicated, could you imagine bringing your child in here and to have me dedicate your child? And I would say, this little one is going to cause nothing but chaos and is going to cause deep pain to your soul, Mom. Here you go. God bless. Right? I mean, can you see that? And nobody, nobody uh, went through that, I'm pretty sure, if you had your child dedicated. Most of my kids were dedicated. Never heard those words. Right? Never heard them. And yet that was what was spoken to Mary. Those are foreboding and foreshadowing words, absolutely. But 33 years later, they would become a reality. It happened on what we know as Good Friday. Let me read the passage for you in John chapter 19, starting in verse 16. John 19, 16 says this, Finally Pilate handed him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by a lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Can you imagine that day? Can you see Mary? She's standing there and as she's looking at the cross. Her eyes begin to mist over with tears. And the words of Simeon come crashing back into her consciousness. And she thinks, so this is the sword that pierces my soul. She knew that Jesus was destined for this day. She knew it in the back of her heart, deep in her soul. She knew it. She knew that Jesus would never grow up to be a doctor or a lawyer or, 
or just a regular common rabbi. She knew that he'd never get married and give her grandchildren. She knew that this day would come, that he was born to die. The picture is so horrific. She closes her eyes, and as she does, the tears stream down her face. And as her eyes are closed, she, she remembers. Memory after memory comes flooding back. She remembers the, she remembers the birth. She remembers that stable. She, she sees it. And when Joseph handed that little baby, Jesus, to her, and she took him and, and swallowed him in cloths, and he looked like, like the face of an angel. Another thought flashed into her mind. She, she remembered Jesus' first words. She, she remembered his first steps. She remembered when, when he would come into the kitchen. He loved to help her break and bake bread. She remembered watching him toddle after Joseph out into the shop and how he'd run around and, and Joseph would chase him and Jesus would giggle as, and laugh as, as Joseph would sweep him up to his arms. She, she remembered it all. She remembered it all. She couldn't bear to look, but she had to. She opened her eyes. And there, at the cross, she'd see crude men hunched over, gambling their souls away, casting lots for his clothes. She was there that day because of a mother's love. He was there because of a Savior's love. But love wasn't supposed to look like this. Her son, hanging on a cross, both of his hands nailed with a spike to a Roman cross, a Roman gibbet. His body just filleted, his flesh ripped apart. The Roman soldiers were expert at torture. And blood and sweat poured down his body and pooled at the foot of his cross, beating up the dirt. His hair is all matted with dried blood from from the thorns that had been crushed into his skull. His face, so swollen and contorted, he didn't even look like her son. And she stood there staring at him. And every breath now, because this has been going on a while, every breath is torturous. He has to push up on the, the spike in his feet to gather and gasp for air. And by now, I'm sure his body would be spasming. But he tried to catch another breath. And as he did, he looked down at Mary. And he said, dear woman, your son. <gasps> With another breath, he looked at John standing next to her. And said, John, your mother. John bit his lip, trying to hold back the emotion. But she would not leave. She knew the time was coming close and all this would be over. She would not leave. She was there the night he was born. She would be there the night he left the world. Why? Because she was his mother. And as you hear that story, and as I walk through it, even in my mind, I am like, 
What was it that kept her soul solid and steady in that moment? Her heart had to be broken. She must have been crushed. But what was it that kept her there, that kept her strong? We find it in Luke chapter 1, I believe. We find it in verse 38. When the angel had just given her that pronouncement, this was Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. That was the choice. That was the decision that built a firm, solid foundation that carried her not only through life, but carried her even through this horrific moment, the death of her son. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In other words, God, what you want, I want. I am all in. I am totally surrendered. Whatever you want for my life, I want for my life. Whatever you say, the, my answer is already yes. I want what you want. Total, complete, absolute surrender. And that, by the way, is exactly what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to live the Christian life. When Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, he didn't say, well, you know what, just be a good person, nod your hat to me, show up on Sunday every once in a while, read your Bible when you think about it, and, you know, you're all good. He didn't say that. See, because with Jesus, you can't negotiate the terms. His terms are pretty simple, right? Demand nothing, surrender everything. If you want to be my disciple, he said, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In other words, Jesus said, listen, if you're going to follow me, then you've got to turn your back on everything that's not me. If you're going to go my way, then you've got to turn aside from the way that is not me and not my way. Jesus always puts us at a crossroads, man. He always calls us at a crossroads and says, there's only two roads. You're either for me or you're against me. You're either going to follow me or you're going to go away from me. To follow Jesus is to follow everything that he's about. He is meant to invade every area of our life. To surrender ourselves totally and completely. That is why many times in the New Testament, in the New Testament, you will see believers referring to themselves as slaves. Now sometimes in our translations, it is translated servant, but many times the word servant Actually, a literal translation is the word slave. Peter, for example, when writing 2 Peter, he introduced himself as Peter, a slave of Jesus Christ. Timothy did the same thing. Jude did the same thing. Paul did the same thing. James did the same thing. James could have said, when he's writing a letter, he could have said, James, the half-brother of Jesus. That's right. I grew up with the Messiah. Listen to me. He didn't say that. He said, James a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. John did the same thing. He could have said, John, the apostle, best buddies with Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved, the one who took care of his mom, didn't say that. John, a slave of Jesus Christ. Because being a slave is a person who has no identity and their, their service is wrapped up in their master. Their identity is wrapped up in their 
master. And here, Mary, get this. In verse 38, it says, I am the Lord's servant. That word literally translated means bond slave. And that is a word that comes back from the, from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, when God was helping the, the Jewish people Israel to become a nation and to operate the way that he wanted things to operate, what would happen is if someone uh, in that community got uh, you know, put in as a slave somehow, either because they were trying to work off a debt or for some other reason, you know, on the seventh, every seventh year, they would be set free. Their master would set them free. They'd send them off with some good things, with some food and, and, uh, and some commodities, and they'd be free. But on the unusual occasion, and this happened from time to time, it was somewhat rare, but it did happen, the usual occasion that the servant, the slave said, I don't want to be free from you. I want to remain with you. They became a bond slave. Listen to this Deuteronomy 15, verses 16 to 17. It says this, But if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl, A-W-L, an awl, and push it through his earlobe into the door, and he will become your servant for life. In other words, pierce the earlobe. Do the same for your female servant or your female slave. A bond slave was someone who said, I don't want to leave you. Six years of servitude is up, I don't want to leave you. I don't want to remain with you. That sounds crazy to us. Why wouldn't you want to take the, the money and run, man? Take the stuff and go and leave and be free. Well, Deuteronomy 15, verse 16, 17 tells us the motivation. It's twofold. One, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family. Okay? That's the first thing. The slave says to his master, I love you. I love you and your family. I don't want to leave you. I love you. And secondly, and is well off with you. In other words, the slave sees not only that he loves the master and his family, but he sees that he is far better off with the master than without the master. And that is true of us as Christians. We realize that we love Jesus because of all that he has done for us. And we realize that we are far better off with him than without him. We realize we are far better off with him as our master than with something else. And something else is going to be your master. Sin's going to be your master. Self is going to be your master. Jesus sets us free from that. Ultimate freedom comes when you give yourself, surrender yourself to Jesus. Why? Because he loves you. He promises to protect you, to provide for you, to forgive you, to sacrifice for you, to guide you, to give your life purpose. And he doesn't just call you slave. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. And he calls you friend. Mary said, I am the Lord's bond slave. I love him. I'm better off with him than without him. Whatever he wants for my life, I want for my life. So here's my encouragement to you and to me today from the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. That should be our heartbeat as well. It's what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ. That we look at the Lord and we say, I submit to whatever you want for my life, regardless of the risk, regardless of the consequence. I submit to you to whatever you want for my life. 
I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you desire. Imagine what would happen if we took that attitude with us actively every single day. How would it affect our words? How would it affect our thoughts? How would it affect our perspective? How would it affect our Bible reading? Imagine we come to our devotional time in the morning when we're going to sit down and read. And before we even read, we say, hey, Lord, I just want you to know, whatever you say to me, I'm in. And I'm going for it. You lay it out there and I'm doing it. Because I am your bond slave. Imagine what would happen if we did that. Well, that is what God wants for us. Because Mary had that attitude and that heartbeat, God used her in amazing ways. The same will be true for you and for me. God will use us as he sees fit for his glory. And as we've talked about before, at the end of the day, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and successful servant. Well done, good and cool servant. Well done, good and look at all the stuff you did, servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that comes by going, I'm yours, God. It was Mary's heartbeat. It needs to be our heartbeat as well. What would happen if this week, if tomorrow, you got up in the morning, the first thing you did, first thing I did was, Lord, today I'm your servant. Whatever you want, I'm in. Imagine what could happen. Let's pray. So heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment, man. Just take a moment and just respond to what God has talked to you about. You know, maybe as we quickly walked through an imagination of what the story of Mary might have been like, you know, maybe you just need to be reminded of what Jesus did for you and how much you were loved and his massive commitment to you. Maybe you just need to be reminded of that because the enemies beat you up this week. Made you think that God doesn't care about you. The cross forever answers the question, what does Jesus think of me? What does God think of me? cross answers that question. Maybe that was for you today. Or maybe there's an area in your life that you have not surrendered to the Lord. You've been putting it off. You've been trying to negotiate. And I get what that's like. And that goes nowhere good. Nowhere good. And maybe God is putting his finger on something in your, in your life saying, come on, let's go right here. This is what I want. I want you to say yes to me in this area. It will never, ever be a bad decision, ever. He is the God you can trust. If you're here and you've never invited Christ into your life and you know you need Jesus, you're not going to make heaven. Jesus did on the cross, he did for you. He did for you. It's like, isn't that amazing? He wants you to know him. So if you don't know him, you're not going to make heaven. You're not going to be free. He wants you to know him. But you've got to go his way. Surrender everything. Because you don't just need a, a band-aid. You need spiritual life. Because we're dead without Christ. If that's you, you're saying, I need Jesus. Then just tell him that. Give your life to him right now. You can pray something like this, not out loud in your heart, mean the words as your own. Just say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. 
I know I can't save myself. I believe you died for me. You have life to give me. I want that. I want you. So right now I turn from my sin. I repent. I don't want to go that way. I want to go your way. So come into my life. Save me. I'm all yours. I trust you. If you just prayed that prayer, no one looking around, but you just prayed it and you meant it, I want to remember you in a closing prayer, if I could. So I'm just going to ask you to just raise your hand. Say, Wes, I prayed it. I meant it. Here's my hand. Pray for me, man. I just gave my life to Jesus. If that's you, can I, can I pray for you? Lord, thanks for your truth. I thank you. Thank you for what you've laid out for us in, our, in your word that can encourage us. Thank you for the example of Mary. Jesus, I pray that we would have that heartbeat as well. I pray that I would have that. Every day, I'm your servant. Lord, I'm in. Whatever you want, I'm in. Lord, I pray that that would be the heartbeat of every one of us here, that that would be the heartbeat of our church, God. And when we come together, we would be all about that. And then when we leave, we would be all about that. And that you would get glory. Thank you, Jesus. Again, I pray a blessing for the mothers, that they would be encouraged, they would be honored, and that, Lord, you'd give them everything they need. Thank you. We pray this in your name, Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. To connect with us and to get more encouraging biblical content, go to vcb.church.